Hey everybody, it's your host Hampton Dorch. Many of you know that I just became a dad within the last like six or so weeks. It has been incredible. I love my daughter Mary Collins so much. It's so much fun. However, I currently have COVID as I am recording this. So I am doing my best here. I'm working from home. You may hear a baby in the background. You may hear some other stuff in the in the episode. My dog runs in the room. So my life is a little different now. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but I just want to let you know, I'm not putting a little clip at the beginning of this to make sure that you, uh, stick around and give you a little cliffhanger. But at the end of the day, if you clicked on this because of the title, that means that you want to learn how to manage your time better. And I guarantee you that if you listen to Andrew Hartman, you will get something out of this. I promise you. So hop into the episode. You're going to learn a lot. And by the way, just so you know, this podcast is sponsored by O'Henry's Coffee, my favorite shop in Birmingham. I go there all the time. When I don't have COVID anymore, probably one of the first places that I'm going to meet with real people because I'm an extrovert and I need to see real people. Anyways, let's hop in. There was a text that I received a few days before uh, my wife gave birth that was very encouraging to me, so much so that I actually posted it on LinkedIn now, the listener right now might be saying, Hampton, you post everything on LinkedIn, and I would agree with that. However, I'm still going to read this text because I, I just want to read it out loud for the person that needs to hear it, and then I'm going to talk to my guest today, Andrew, about it. But here we go. Andrew texted me this. He said, I wanted to emphasize a major idea for you. There will be enough time for all of your ambitions in the future. Your one and only job right now is to support your wife and be a dad. If you went into a coma for the next six months, when you woke up, you would figure your life out and move your ambitions forward. I guarantee your future self 10 years from now is looking back at you and hoping and praying that you go all in for your wife and child over the next six months, over the next weeks and months. You are right on time, Hampton. You are not behind schedule. You have what it takes to love your wife and child well in this next season. Go get it. So that text was from my new friend, Andrew Hartman, and I have him here with me. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Well, it was really encouraging. And we were talking before this about the coma analogy. It sounds like that's something that, that you've used quite a bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it really has. So what's powerful for me about the coma analogy is it creates this like gap of separation between my present self and my future self. And what I find is that people massively overvalue their present self. They can't imagine not making progress the next six months. They can't imagine like all the things that they want to get done. But when you really think of that future self as a live human that will exist one day, that has needs and thoughts and emotions, and you realize that that person is incredibly resourceful, just like you're really resourceful now. I mean, you right now, you are the the fruition of your past six months, right? You are showing up in this moment with everything your past self is handing to you and you're doing the best that you can. And so to me, the power of a coma is it's, I literally can't advance anything. It's like those six months don't exist. I have no power. And if I can wrap my head around, yeah, if that happens, I'd figure it out. My future self would be just as resourceful as I am now. And he would figure it out. If that's the case, then that creates this six, you've just opened up a six month window for you to do whatever you want, to be fully invested in whatever's in front of you, because you can be confident your future self's going to be able to pick up the ball and run with it. Um, so the more you can, to me, the more you can create a separation between my present self, my future self, and my present self is fashioning tools for my future self that he's going to pick up and have to work with. I think the more empowering and freeing it is for you as a person. Mm. Have you... Have you always thought this way? Uh, 
No. <laughs> no, I, uh, if you've heard anything I've shared online, um, when I was 27, I was lost, man. I mean, just lost. I was a, a young project manager at a, at a digital agency, tons of clients, tons of expectations, so many tasks flying around, uh, was so overwhelmed in my time. Um, kind of the classic meme of that season is I lost my sense of smell for six months because I just was so stressed out. Uh, cold sweats, couldn't sleep, um, had young kids, had a marriage I was really interested in, in holding on to, and I just realized it couldn't be that way anymore. And really what I was up against was two things. One is I had no clue how to manage my time. Time management is this wacky tribal knowledge that no one really teaches you. You know, you got to go kind of figure it out on your own. Um, and I had no idea how to think about my time. And so I, I lived in a, in a constant state of overwhelm that just was driving me sideways. So Time Boss is really, it is the fruition of a 15-year journey for me of two things. One how can I make massive progress on my priorities, the things I care about? How can I express my values? That's one. So that, that was a boundary condition for me. And that was actually the first thing I learned. I actually learned how to go fast first and just crush priorities. Working in early stage startups, um, lots of expectations. I, um, yeah, I would, I would just kind of go through seasons of burning out because I just was going too fast, getting too much things done. So once I figured out the habits of how to make things happen, the second thing I had to learn is how do I to think about time. And um, for me, I realized that my fuel was anxiety, stress, and fear. That's what was driving me. Um, I thought I had to earn my identity. I thought I had to prove it to people. Um, I just would wait for things to catch on fire and then I would go attack them. And when I made my present experience of peace and my connectedness to the thing I was trying to make happen and the condition of my success, then I had progress and I had peace and I just was driving down the center of that to make big things happen without taking massive hits on my mental health and being present and peaceful and connected to the work in the midst of that. And that's been my functional experience the past five years and it's been the greatest it's been the greatest gift. I I love the combination between learning how to make massive progress and go fast and 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 really master time management, but then also learning how to to do that without it being at the expense of, of yourself and, and your right. mental health, because there's probably a lot of people, myself included, where maybe at certain times you fall one way or the other. It's like, you're really good at taking care of your mental health, but sometimes that means like not working very hard or vice versa. It's like you work super hard and then, you know, you lose yourself. And so that balance is something that I don't see a lot of people have. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what happens is we, we don't realize or we're not willing to accept that we're finite, which is kind of a funny thing when you think about going fast, but the truly like I'm, I'm really finite. I can't grind. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 44 next month and I, in some ways I no longer have the gear. And so I, I still care about contribution. I'm still working in early stage companies. I'm still bu building a coaching business. I want to be present with my kids. I want to be present with my wife. I want to be engaged in my church. I want to be invested in my neighborhood, my local community. There's a lot on that list, right? And so for me, it's coming to the terms with that I'm finite. And I think things that are finite necessarily have greater value. So once I understand I'm finite and I begin to value my time, 
then it becomes about, okay, what are the things that I actually want to contribute to? And how can I describe those things <laughs> and identify those things in a way where those can get to my calendar in a way that I can take quick and massive action on them without having to spend a ton of time evaluating and reevaluating is the most important thing. Should I be working on this? What's in my inbox? You know, people spend so much time oscillating between being the boss and oscillating between being like that employee that's making things happen. And for me with Time Boss, I'm just trying to eliminate that process where I spend an hour a week really going through my priorities, really thinking deeply about what I want to make happen the next week. I deal with all of my feelings about the things I'm not going to make happen. I say no to a ton of things. I commit to that plan. I get that plan in place. And then over the next seven days, I'm just making that plan happen. I'm not rebounding my priorities. I'm not constantly going back to my to-do list. I'm just focused on my contribution. And you fly when you do that. You really do. Mm. So from talking to you a few times, I believe you. And, I, and I've heard some of this stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easy these days online. You know, we got to figure out who to trust. But, you know, you, you see people online promising you, you know, make millions without any effort. And I'm hearing you say you, you make massive progress. But it, but it sounds like, and I'm going to ask you about this, that hour of planning each week and learning to ruthlessly say no to things so you can say yes to what's most important. That that sounds like where you're really hitting a home run. Is the hour a week thing, is that um is that when you and Ange get together? Yeah, we do it every <laughs> Every Sunday morning, uh, my buddy Ange. Have you, have you had Ange on the podcast? I didn't check. I, I have. It was it was a little okay. while ago, but Ange okay. Boudoir, that's how you say it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Probably. Yeah, he was on, uh, <laughs> probably. He was on a while ago, and he's brought up Andrew several times to me, and so I. that's how we met. So shout out to you, Ange. Anyways. There you go. Yeah, so, so I was doing every Sunday morning at Starbucks, invited Ange to come along. He's like, what are you doing here? I said, well, let me, let me walk you through it. Let me talk you through it. So Ange is actually the inspiration for Time Boss. What's funny is um, I taught a number of people how to do this. I didn't build this for anyone else. I built this, I built this for 27-year-old Andrew to survive. You know, it wasn't, this wasn't a, a coaching business I was trying to get going from the beginning. But once I figured it out, I just had, I started running it through my teams. Um, people would leave my companies and go to other companies and they would call me back and be like, hey, can you come show us how to do that? Can you walk my team through how to do that? And it was this really weird eye-opening moment of like, oh, this is this is universal. This is applicable. Um, so I was showing a number of people. If it if it wasn't happening in a business context, oftentimes people would start and they would, stop, they would just give up because it was too hard. And uh, what Ange helped me realize is sometimes you just need to attach people to a program to really help them get reps to get past the friction. Because the reality is whatever we are getting out of our time and our experience of life, we have lived into through years of habits and thought patterns. And so it it's fully illogical to think that I can just read a book or I can just read someone's stuff on LinkedIn or whatever and be a different person as it comes to time. So for me, the the Time Boss cohorts, what I'm taking people through is it is a daily rep around changing the way you think about time, changing your habits around time. And it typically takes people like three to four weeks before they really get it. And that's a, that's a ton of friction. I mean, that's a lot of time. Think of it like going to the gym. Like You shouldn't expect to see muscles after three days of lifting weights. It's a lot of friction that people have to get through to start experiencing results. Um, 
And that weekly planning meeting, to your question, Hampton, is really where it all begins. It is the moment of value where you are your time boss. You are the boss of your future self. Your future self is going to re receive whatever strong or crappy plans you hand to them, and they're going to have to make sense of it, right? And most people are simply are often just punting trash to their future self, where their future self is just picking up the pieces of their past self, not doing a very good job planning. And so my thesis is when you plan, you're your time boss. And when you make things happen, you're your employee. And if you have employees on your team, you probably really care about them. And you give them very clear outcomes that you're driving towards. And you make sure that they're resourced to make that thing happen. And you are creating space in their schedule and protecting them so other people can't dive in and steal their time. So we're really, really good, especially really, really good leaders are really good about doing this for their employees and they're terrible for doing it for themselves. But again, if you begin to think of your future self as another employee, a person that's going to be making things happen on your behalf, you start planning for them in a different way. And that's where that weekly planning meeting is so valuable. Did you come up with, with that employee analogy? Cause that, that's pretty amazing. I, I, I honestly, dude, I don't know. Just, again, take I wasn't, Just take credit for it. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't building this building this for it to be a platform, I was looking for mental models of, what do I think about this? Like I, I would find myself looking at my to-do list on a Tuesday and, and I would see it, 20 things on my to-do list. And I'm like, how do I even make sense of which of these things I should do right now? And even thinking to myself, this is a really stupid time for me to be looking at this. Like I'm just stressing myself and overwhelming myself. And the early years I've, I've been in product and I've been COO of early stage software companies what I saw was I was the happiest people in my company were my employees who I was working really hard to do all those things I just described. I protect their time. I gave them a clear definition of done. Um, I made sure that they had the right amount of workload so that they could be leaning over their skis, not falling over their skis, you know, kind of like right in that sweet spot. And then I saw myself like burning out and stressing out. And I'm like, why they are so they are doing so well in this environment i wish i had someone that would do this for me and when you're an executive in a early stage software company no one's coming to help you. like you are it is the wild west like you're doing the best you can and i realized that if i took responsibility for myself to protect my time the same way i protected other people it freed up so much of my experience of life now that's not perfect you know like I still have people that come for my time. You know, it's not like I can set a plan on a Friday afternoon and run it to the next seven days, no problem. But that's where, again, like the, the time boss model has really worked out mechanics around how do you deal with distraction? How do you realign the plan on a daily basis? Um, how much of your week should you even be planning versus how much of your week should, be, should you leave open for flex time? All of those things are innovations that I had to work out for myself to survive, and they just happen to be really, really helpful for other people. And so I'm kind of just riding the horse in the direction it's going right now, you know? Yeah. That was one of the questions I was going to have about about the flex time. You know, do you do you yeah. plan out every minute or, or is there flex time? Yeah. No, you'll fail for sure. Um, I plan 60-40. So 60% of my time is what I would call strategic time, meaning it's... It's things on the front end of my week as a time boss that I'm naming as priorities. And that includes uh, team meetings, one-on-ones, dashboard meetings around specific subjects, um, this call with you, like anything where I'm saying on the front end, it's valuable. 
that becomes part of that time that I'm factoring in. And then, and so that leaves 40% time that I'm actively not planning. The number one pushback I get back, I get from corporate environments. The number one resistance to that plan is that time. I call it whirlwind time. Um, a number of different models use that concept called whirlwind. And for me, I, for people that don't have a hold of their time, if they actually make progress on strategic priorities 60% of their time, they will absolutely fly in a way they never have before. They will, be, they will run circles around people on their team if they can actually protect 60% 60, 60 of the week. In a 40-hour work week, that's 26 hours. I mean, that's so much time. And we lose so much time working through our priorities, look, going back to our priorities and reevaluating, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Allowing ourselves to be interrupted, allowing someone coming to steal time, looking at our inbox and putting out fires, that if we can actually create a lane to make strategic work happen, and then we can create a lane where we deal with the reality of life, last minute meetings, client calls, uh, customer support issues, um, water heater breaks, you know, wife needs you to run to the store to pick up a casserole or... <laughs> yep, that was me right before this. So, um, and you can, you can really crank that up or down. The more control you have on your schedule, the more you can strategically plan. The less control your schedule, the less you can strategically plan. There's people that go through Time Boss and only ended up carving out 25% of their day and they leave a lot of their day open for that whirlwind. And there's people that go through and do 80% because they have really tight control of their time. I think the key is, however you do it, is you're naming priorities on the front end. You're doing the work to clearly define a definition of done for your next seven days where you say, if we get this amount of work done, this will be a gift to our future self. We will represent our values on our calendar. We will crush priorities that we believe in deeply and we think need to happen. And again, I, that 60-40 breakdown is just what I've seen as, um, it is the most realistic breakdown of what actually happens in most people's weeks. And you got to kind of right size it based off your experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to clarify is it sounds like you're saying 40 hour work week. So when you do this, is it typically for your work week? And then I guess the follow up to that is how do you think about your community and church and your family and everything like that? Yeah, great question. So the way I think about it is I run this process for any set of time that competes. So let's let work is the easiest way to think about it. Most people are coming into time boss. They start with their professional life and then they often take it to their personal life. Most professionals have a pretty reasonable uh, distinction between work time and home time because they have they have a full full time job or they have decided in their heart I'm going to give four, fifty hours to this entrepreneurial effort or whatever. If if anything is going to compete for a set of time, it's got to be prioritized together. So if your world is if your waking hours are a combination of your family and your work and your church and all the things, then truly that stuff all competes with each other. Um, so to answer your question, Hampton, in my world, I designate 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. primarily for um, my professional work. That's what I have budgeted as a time inventory that I'm willing to give to money-making activities, maybe is the best way to describe it, and the, the things that I want to contribute to. That all goes into a time boss process. All of that competes. All of that gets that 60-40 breakdown. And then I do the same thing for my personal life. So we have some fixed rhythms, you know, involvements in church, involvements in ministries, things like that that are just on the calendar. 
but I have other inventory that's up for grabs. And so three nights a week, I can invest in something and I run this process. Again, it's a much smaller inventory. It's not that massive inventory I have for work, but the same thing applies. I'm, I'm prioritizing all of that in a single list. I'm doing the hard work to decide what order those things are going to go in. I'm breaking those tasks down into very distinct tasks that have a clear definition of done. So I'm setting up my future self to be really successful when he shows up to do the work. I'm dealing with all the emotions of all the, of all the things I'm saying no to. I'm actively saying, I will not do those these next week. This is the thing that I'm going to do. I commit to that plan. And then I hand that plan to my future self and he just makes it happen. And every week, I'm not kidding, man. Every week that I finish weekly planning meeting, I feel light. I feel great, feel grateful. I have extreme clarity on what the next days are going to look like. I, I feel like I've handed a gift to my future self. And when I show up at 8 a.m. on Monday, I'm like, oh, this is so great. And I, and some of it is just the delta of where I've come from. Like I, 8 a.m. on Monday used to be my dread hour, you know, like I've, I've held back the maelstrom of all the tasks all weekend long. And now it's hitting me in the face like a, like a, uh, boxing glove, you know, and now it's, it's completely flipped. It's, I did the work last week to decide what the most important thing is. And I really care about this task. And now I just see it to contribute and make this task happen. I, it completely changes your relationship with work. So, or whatever you're trying to contribute to, whatever you're trying to contribute to. This is great. So I don't want you to give away all your secrets, but at the oh. same time, I know that, like you said, you could literally tell every single thing that you know to every single person listening to this and 99% of people aren't going to actually implement it. They probably do need yes. that three to four weeks of friction like you talked about. So I, I have a feeling you're willing to share this stuff anyways, but I'm curious, like, are you, I know Ange is a big notion guy. What do you use? I mean, are you using your calendar? Like how do, how do you yeah. know what's next on the to-do list? Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, great question. So the first thing I'll say before I answer that question is, what matters most is your philosophy of how you approach time. I'm totally tool agnostic when it comes to that. Um, I personally use Google Calendar um, and I uh, am adamant about your calendar as your to-do list. To-do lists are stress machines because they have no context of time. Every time you look at that, I mean, like this is, well, actually, I'm not going to show you that. Every time you look at a to-do list, choosing to do one and you see the context of all the other things that you're not doing because you mm. haven't carved out space for it and you can only do one thing at a time we stress ourselves out by multitasking and looking trying to do multiple things at once and so when you put it on your calendar just like we start on the front end hampton with that idea of the six-month coma when you put a task on your calendar let's say it's a two-hour task and you put it eight to ten a.m and you dealt with all the trade-offs and you believe in your system and you know that um, at 10 a.m. something else will be there, but for the next two hours, all I have to do is that thing. You create tremendous freedom to act. Most people lose lots of their productive time because in the back of their head, they're thinking about all the things that, that they're not doing or they're not getting to. It's like all the children that they're not feeding, you know? And what I'm trying to help people do is create a system where you create space for each individual task to make it happen. You deal with all the feels in your weekly planning meeting. And then when you show up, you just, you just run it. You just make it happen. So Google Calendar for me is, 
the magic. You could do it in Outlook. You could do it on paper. We have there's people in the cohort right now that are doing it on paper. They don't like digital things. Um, I think you need a digital space to make a list. Notion's a great place. Asana is a great place. Todoist is a great place. And you need a calendar where you can move things from that list on your calendar. And with those two things, you can be pretty dangerous. Pretty dangerous. I love it. <laughs> now I'm I'm freaking out because I spent a gross amount of time on my first day back from paternity leave putting in a dual monitor into my office because like we just had an extra one laying around. So now I've got my uh, laptop and then like two monitors there, which in my mind, I'm like, do I actually need that? Because now I'm probably just going to be distracted if I have like Slack up here and this up there. So I probably want to even end up like using it a lot if I really need to focus. But the reason I bring that up is to say, I imagine in order to stick to your calendar and to deal with the, I love how you're talking about, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like dealing with the emotions of saying no or thinking what else could I be doing? Or am I missing this email or, or Slack message right. or text? Like what, what kinds of boundaries do you have with other technologies and notifications and stuff? Yeah. So I have designated times throughout the day where I check those items and then any stakeholder in my life of record, I guess you could say, or, or that is um, as elevated to a certain level, that could be my wife, all my direct reports, key clients, they have my cell phone number. And I tell them like, hey, my calendar is very full for, throughout the day, but I'm not busy. If you need to get a hold of me and it's on fire, please call me. I will answer the phone. And guess how often they call? Almost never. Almost never. Mm -hmm. So think of it like this. So our relationship with people, we are like, we are like, um, it's like they have filled up a cup of water with all their feelings and their needs or whatever. And they're walking into our kitchen and they're looking around. And they're like, I don't even know where to put this. So they just pour it on the ground and then we're left to deal with the mess, right? Because we didn't give them really great expectations of where to put it. But if they walk in the kitchen and we're like, hey, you can set this right here and it's going to be just fine. And in the right amount of time, that thing is going to be taken care of. They'll set it there and it'll be fine. If you say this is a sink, pour your pour your water in the sink. When you're done, they're going to pour it in the sink. People will operate, will take the path of least resistance to get their needs met. So if you come to them with compassion that you care about their needs and you give them confidence that their need will be met, they'll do it your way. Hey, I check my email a couple times a day. If you need me, if it's on fire, call me. They'll almost never call you, and they will they will gladly just wait for your reply as long as you're consistent in getting back to them. So for me, it's about just training people to interact in a way that works for you, works for them, and allows you to protect your priorities. So you would say that as a sales professional, it's not a good use of my time to continually fresh my, refresh my email all day to see if the person signed the document that I sent them? <laughs> <laughs> see, it's up to you. So sales is a tricky one. Sales is a tricky one for sure. You have to... Um, you have to create systems that really bring you the information at the right time. Now, here's a way to look at it. If if it is critical for you to respond to people within minutes or seconds or however you want to say it, then strategically, you need to factor your time for that. And you probably need to change your expectations about how productive you're going to be with the rest of your time. If you are sitting on Slack or your inbox, watching things come in, booting up the context of each of those things every time they come in, switching back and forth between multiple contexts and switching that context you're it's like you missed a night of sleep or you're smoking marijuana you choose 
but you are not present to do deep work and make significant things happen. So again, that's where I think separating out strategic time and separating out whirlwind is an opportunity for most people and it allows both to get done. What most people are doing is they're just doing those right on top of each other. And it, it just eliminates your ability to get really deep, significant work done. Focused work does not get done. This is good. Um, for the listeners, if you haven't picked up, this is turning into like a counseling session for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm <laughs> asking these questions. Do you have certain times in the day where you know you're locked in? Like for me, I know if it's, if I am, I know I have a baby, so schedule's changing. It's always kind of evolving. I'm working yep. on that right now. But if, if I could, I would be looking at my computer at like seven in the morning after working out, spending time with God. And like, because I know that as I get later in the day, it's, I get a little bit worse and seven in the morning, it's quiet. Nobody's at the office. Like, do you encourage people and do you yourself kind of know your sweet spots where you know you're going to be feeling good to to put maybe the most important stuff or the hardest stuff? Yeah, yeah. I'm 8, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. is my magic time. Post-afternoon, like this, even, even this time right now, is it's not great focus time for me. The team is the most active. They have the most dynamic needs. Um, so yeah, I, I am really, really careful about protecting my morning hours. So I'll even block part of my calendar blocks is not so people won't come and schedule time on my calendar. I'm still super open. I've just let them know when that time's available to them. Uh, and I think really thoughtful organizations, uh, I would suggest should be managing that way. Like they should be uh, giving their teams permission to operate that way. Uh, where this week, uh, one of the teams that I lead, we have a conference and what I told them is find the times when you're going to be available and when you're going to be connected and connecting with our customers and people that are there and find the times when you were going to hide and make your priorities happen. And that's totally fine. Just let the team know when those are so we know how to interact with you. I think giving our teams permission to do that is really huge so they don't feel like oftentimes what happens is you're like, well, you know, what if my boss needs me? The people's whatabouts in time are so wacky. It's like these situations that rarely happen, you know, but they, they plan their whole world around them. I think really good teams uh, and really good leaders give their team members permission to fight for their priorities and make it happen. That's good. Yeah, th that's definitely what the best leaders do. I love what you told your team. Like, hey, find your time. Or you need to go away and hide and knock out your priorities. Yeah. That's, that is that uh, is huge right there. And I'm with you. I, I yeah. like the idea of the, you know, the eight to one hour for the most yeah. part getting into that deep work and stuff. Cause for me, I'm, I'm extroverted. I get energy from having a conversation like this. And I also am for better, or for worse, a people pleaser too. I'm not, I'm not going to not be on for a conversation in the afternoon versus if I'm kind of tired and I'm working on a project, the, the thought creeps in. It's like, ah, you can just kind of push that to tomorrow versus at the beginning of the day, that's right. not really happening. Well, think of it like this way too, Hampton. So um, imagine your boss comes in and says, Hey, eight to 10 a.m. Every day, you and me, we're going to hit the high, we're going to hit the highest priority. Don't schedule anything else. You're going to not schedule anything else. And he's like, Hey, if you check your email while you're here, I'm going to fire you. You're probably not going to check your email. So you have the ability, if it's the highest priority to block out your world and make the thing happen, right? Like this is where we need to go through thought experiments and think about like how we approach time. If you're, if your water heater busted, and your home is flooded, no one's gonna fault you for being offline. Like that is the most, that is the highest priority thing. You should be working on that. The reality is, 
we have the agency to protect our time like that. That eight to one o'clock time, like you're talking, like you have the agency to protect it. It just comes down to your emotional fortitude to do it, for you to get really clear that your priorities matter, for you to own the fact that your time is finite and necessarily then your time is valuable. And and how do you become a steward of that time and, and how your calendar reflects that? That That's what it is to me. And so I think the coma, the meetings with the bosses, like those type of thought experiments help us get us into different frameworks to how we think about time. Um, that once we lock in on those as truths about time, we can just start applying them to our calendar and carving out space that, where we can protect the time. Mm, super good. Well, the last thing I want to ask you, and this is probably the most important question, and I, I think you would agree with it, is at the end of the day, you mentioned this, your identity has, has nothing to do with, with what you get done, you know? <laughs> and so I, w- I would just love to hear, you know, yeah. Where is your identity found? How do you think about time and your priorities and everything? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that. Um, so often in my cohort, I'll say you either wake up and you are fully loved, lacking nothing, or you're not. And if you're not, you're going to chase your tail the rest of your life trying to prove it to yourself, and it'll never be enough. You'll you'll just keep going because it's if you don't feel loved, it is the most arbitrary arbitrary thing in the world to go look for progress and success to make you feel loved. And so for me, I, I draw my identity from my relationship with Jesus. I am fully loved and I lack nothing because of him, which means every morning I wake up in the gravy. I wake, it's just all gain. It's all contribution. And so if it is all contribution and I don't need to do a bunch of stuff to, for other people to love me or for me to feel loved, then it becomes really, really, really important for me to protect that time. Like I actually want to see the contribution happen and I want to fight for it because I believe in it. And then at the end of the week, it's, it's all gravy and it's a, it's a total gift. Now, obviously there's a ton that goes into that and we have jobs and responsibilities and yada, 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 but you're either fully loved, lacking nothing, or you got a hole in your heart and you're going to constantly go looking to fill it. And I, I think those people are just going to ultimately run themselves ragged. Mm, couldn't agree more with you. And uh, yeah. I'm grateful to have people in my life like you that are actively living that out that I can learn from. Um, totally agree. I mean, so often, I'm oh, sorry about that. We have an interruption, everyone. A dog has just joined me. I'm <laughs> definitely not. I'm definitely not editing that out. So uh, for everyone who's wondering, we just had a baby <laughs> and my dog is um, getting literally no attention. So he just like escaped and ran into here. But anyways, I am back. And my final thought, you know what? I think that was the enemy trying to take away the most important part of this call, which is to say that we all have a hole in our heart um, that we try to fill with with success or attention um, yep. or money or whatever it is. And I'll be the first to say that I don't wake up every morning automatically thinking in this way that Andrew's talking about, knowing that um, I am fully loved and lack nothing. But I have to remind myself, um, remind myself of that, you know, um, and that my identity is can, not in what I do, you know. Can I, can I make this one statement about that? Yeah, please. please. We still have time. Okay. So early on when I was running myself ragged, um, I was a total people pleaser and I was judging my success by my clients being happy with me, which if you have clients or a portfolio of clients, that is the worst scoreboard in the world <laughs> because 
that is they're just not interested in my happiness. They're more interested in their needs being met. And the process I went through is every single morning I wrote down in my journal, I am fully loved, I lack nothing. I'm a child of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. It was just identity statements, identity statements. And here's what happens when you start to work on your identity. Your feelings actually don't change. And this is why a lot of people um, uh, get stuck in friction. When I started doing that, I wasn't suddenly not a people pleaser, right? Like I still had that inside me, but I would claim thoughts. I would continue to feel these people pleaser tendencies, but the actions I would take would be based off my identity I claimed, not how I was feeling. So if I needed to call a client and deliver bad news or let them know like, hey, the reality of time, we don't have time to get that project done. I would claim the thought that I was fully loved, lacking nothing. I would feel tremendous anxiety. And then I would call that client. And the most amazing thing wouldn't happen. I wouldn't die and they didn't kill me. And it would <laughs> reinforce, it would come back and reinforce the thought that I was fully loved. Oh, I am actually fully loved and lacking nothing. Like maybe less is at risk than I thought. And you run that process long enough and your thoughts actually change. And when your thoughts actually change and you begin to default to those thoughts, that powerful identity, your feelings actually change. Because if you believe you are fully loved and lacking nothing, then you are safe and you don't feel anxiety, you don't feel fear and you don't feel stress in that same way. And then your actions just flow from that. And then it's just, it's just a, a um, virtuous loop at that point. So a lot of people get stuck because they, ch- they take their cops, their thoughts captive but their feelings don't change and they think there's something wrong, but they, you have to think past your feelings at least for a season or you won't make progress. And people don't like that. Hmm. That's powerful. Fully loved, lacking nothing. Uh, def- definitely going to remember that one. Uh, well, yep. this podcast, as you know, is called Wake Up and Lead. And I'm trying to get people to, 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 to really wake up and learn to lead themselves. And I think the way that people are managing their time is definitely something that we need to wake up from, including myself. And so in the spirit of that, didn't tell you this, but I like people to end by telling everybody to wake up and lead. So if you don't mind, I'll say it's time for you and me and you say to to wake up and lead. Sound good? Let's do this. (laughs) All right. It's time for you and me. To wake up and lead.